is the Mayfair Witchcast, where I tell my favorite person, me, Tim, my favorite story. So listen along every week as I break down this story chapter by chapter with that insight, me. Warning, we are not professionals. This story contains many triggers. We talk about them as gently as we can. But I'm just a girl telling her husband an amazing story of a family of witches, ghosts, ancient orders, lust, and love. So join us for a read-along in discussion of the lives of the Mayfair witches. Hi, babe. Hello, dear. Kitty. Hello, listeners. Welcome back to the Mayfair Witchcast. Today we're doing chapter 31. But first, babe, what do you remember from the last chapter? Yeah, I don't know. Nothing um, much like, happened, yeah. really. Michael, What's that mean? Like... Michael walked through the city. He visited the church. He met Rowan at the house. She don't want to leave. Yeah, she says she's staying. This is her house. And she don't believe. Whatever. She believes, but she wants Michael to stay too. The chapter ended with Michael being like, we have to let all the light in. Let's go open all the shutters. Uh And that's where we left off with Michael and Rowan in the house opening shutters. Chapter 31 begins with quietly. Reverently, they began to explore the house. At first, it was as if they had crept away from the guards in a museum and dared not abuse their accidental freedom. So they start exploring, and at first, they try to be like respectful and not touch all the random things around the house that used to belong to like Carlotta and other people. But as they go around exploring some more, they start to relax a bit and they look in the library for an hour. Sadly, all the ledgers from Riverbend are ruined by the moisture. They look at portraits. There's Julian standing on the front porch. Then there's one with Julian and his sons. They're like, oh yeah, the one closest to Julian is Cortland. Rowan's like... That's my father. This chapter is like kind of from the point of view of Michael. He kind of thinks or hears. And what would you see if you touched them, Michael? And how do you know it isn't what Deborah wants you to do? So he's thinking about touching the pictures. (laughs) And what that would entail. They make their way through the house some more. They end up in a pantry where they find shelves of gorgeous china. There's Minton and Lexan and Wedgwood and Royal Dalton. I happen to know what these things are. I do not own any of these expensive things, but I know what they are. I always wanted a Royal Dalton face head mug thing, but could never justify the money to buy one. (laughs) They're creepy. They're cool. I don't think this is what they mean when they say Royal Dalton. They make all types of china, but 
That's what comes to mind when I hear that name. They find Blue Willow in Old Spode. Some antique shit. Highly collectible shit. They find chests upon chests of sterling, uh, the initial M, engraved on them. Michael is the one who knows about these things. He's the one who can, like, identify what the fish knives are and which ones are the oyster forks or jelly spoons, which I didn't even know there was such a thing as a jelly spoon. Yeah, why wouldn't there be? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's... <laughs> Rich people things. Yeah, Rich and it says things. there's dozens of tiny special items. Sterling candlesticks, elaborate punch bowls, platters, bread plates, butter dishes, coffee urns, teapots, all of it. They find old tablecloths, piles of old napkins that are like all rotted away. But a few of them have been like carefully preserved in like a cedar lined drawer wrapped up in paper. They find napkin rings made out of bone and silver and gold. Michael thinks, like, touch them. There's an MBM, and that must stand for Mary Beth Mayfair. And then there's other ones with the initials JM. You know who that must have belonged to? They go into the dining room. And their murals, like, in the light come to life. They reveal a whole... Population of little figures lost in the dreamy plantation fields. <laughs> he thinks, shall we dine here together soon with high flickering candles? And Rowan whispers, yes, yes. So she's reading his mind. It's become like a normal thing they can all just do now. <laughs> they find another pantry that's also packed full of more treasures. Rowan talks about the parties in the old days with all the Mayfairs together and how strange this place is. It's like a place that time forgot. Like it was a dream she can never remember. They end up outside looking at the pole and the cabana or pole house. This is more like when they call it cabana. This shit's got like separate rooms. Michael says that it's all still solid. They can save it. They go check out the old outbuildings that are mostly gone. But Michael's all like, it's, knocks on the wood and he's like, this is not too bad. <laughs> they see the old oak tree where Deirdre hung out. They, the smell of wisteria makes Michael feel like he's at home. Home, as if he ever had lived in such a place, had he ever loved it more. In a way, he always lived in it. It was the place he longed for when he went away, the place he had dreamed of. This is when he hears in his head, You cannot imagine the strength of the assault. Rowan's all like, Michael? Hello? He's like, oh, what? what is it? He kisses her, but, like, the visions are still, like, there. He opens his eyes wide, trying to, like, wake himself up, I guess. And he hears, Tangle of Lies. 
Meanwhile, Rowan's going on, like, there are flagstones over here. Um, and he's, like, following her, wondering after her. Um, they find little Greek statues, like little satyrs. There's a marble nymph. And all in the overgrown weeds. And it sounds lovely. Michael points out some flowers. They point out a bunch of other flowers. And he's like, look, the big blue flowers growing by the porch. We always called it Althea. And she's like, Althea, that's so lovely. And I think that's a cool ass name too. He points out some more flowers. He says he tried to have a backyard like this back in California, but he could never do it. Rowan tells him that this is his yard now too. She asks if they really can save this house. And he's like, yeah, come look at this. Look, see the way these servants' porches run completely straight up there? There's no weakness in the foundation. There's no leaks visible, no dampness. And he goes on to tell her that in the old days, these porches were the hallways by which the servants came and went. And that's why there are so many high floor length windows and doors. And by the way, every window and door I've tried, it's, it's level. And the house is all open on this side to catch the river breeze. All over the city you'll see that. House is open on the riverside to catch the river breeze. So this whole time he's going on about houses. It's his fucking thing. He's also mansplaining how houses work to her. and <laughs> It's a thing. She looks up at... The windows of Julian's old room. He wonders if she's thinking about Antha. She says, I could feel the curse lifting from this place. That's what was meant. That you and I should come and love each other here. Michael agrees. When he mentions the keyhole doorways, Rowan's like, oh yeah, I saw a doorway like that. Carved at the very top of the Mayfair tomb. This makes Michael feel, like, uneasy. He hates graveyards. He hates tombs. He don't want nothing to do with any of that. So, he proceeds to go on about fucking windows, you know, and plaster. Rowan says that it's ours now, yours and mine. We're writing the file from now on. Michael smiles, and he's like, yeah, the file on Rowan and Michael. Oh, so cute. They end up back inside, and they go upstairs, and they find Belle's things, like a prayer book and a rosary, and more pictures of and they're like, this must be Belle's room. <laughs> There's pictures of Mary Beth, and Michael points out to Rowan that they look like her. Belle's room is a little dusty, but clean, and it has its own bathroom, and its own balcony going into the outside. They go out there and Rowan says it's like the best room. Being on the balcony is like being in a tree house. Like she can see ferns growing out of the branches of the old oak trees. And there's squirrels running around. Rowan is like out loud making future plans for the house. Like what she wants to do. Michael is thinking that he should like touch... Bell's things. 
Like, if she was good, he's in this house, he's not using his power, but he he can't. He can't handle all that right now, like, all that it entails. And he doesn't have to. So, this kind of makes him feel like a coward. And the thought of doing it just makes him cringe. Meanwhile, Rowan's, like, calling him. She's found Millie's room. It's all of her things in it. She says, these rooms are like shrines. They talk about the house some more. How every room has a fireplace and its own bathroom. They eventually make their way into Carlotta's room. It's gloomy. Rowan says she doesn't like it in there. And she doesn't want to touch Carlotta's things. She doesn't have to. Ryan's going to come get shit taken care of. So she's just not going to. Meanwhile, Rowan keeps smelling the scent of camphor oil. She says it's dreary and unhappy. They move to the rear door of Carlotta's room. That opens up to a corridor. With um, short stairs and two small rooms up there. And Michael again begins to explain that this is where the maid slept. And Eugenia's room is back there now. Technically, we're looking into the servant's wing. I don't, this, like, he explains everything in such detail that it kind of got on my nerves. Like, I, I'm pretty sure Rowan is smart enough to figure out what servant's quarters are. Well, that was his thing. He's an architect. Yeah. It's like my He's not talking about how they built it, though. I guess he kind of is. He's talking about how they they cut through the brick wall to put in this doorway in recent years. And in the old days, the servants would have come into the main house by means of the porch, which he already fucking explained to her once. So he's doing it again. Uh, uh, just, I was like, come on. They find a stairway that leads down to the kitchen. And an old bathroom. This house is fucking huge. Sounds like it. Oh, then he explains to Rowan that in the old days, southern people had the black servants use a different bathroom. You've heard enough about all that, I imagine. So not only is he mansplaining how things work to her about this house and about how racism is, he says, you've heard enough about all that. Like, what? This time around, reading this book, I am noticing that Michael is such a, uh, like, such an old man. I don't know how else to put it. See, it's like, it bothers me so much that I, like, lose my train of thought. So Michael finds himself, like, staring at all of Carlotta's stuff. Like, should I touch it? Should I not? They make their way into Deirdre's room, even though really Rowan doesn't really want to, but, you know, she has to. Where they see all the filth and the awful stain on the mattress. Michael tells Rowan that he'll take care of it. He'll call whoever to come clean it up. Then he wonders, like, if Deirdre had hemorrhage when she was dying, or had she lain there in her waist in this awful room wonders in his head to which Rowan answers I don't know 
I've already asked for the records. Brian's requesting everything. She talked to him. She called the doctor. She talked to the nurse. All the doctor said was that there's no reason to take her to the hospital. This whole thing is crazy. The doctor didn't like her asking him questions. And he suggested that she was wrong to ask. He said it was the humane thing to let her die. Then she points over to like the corner and she's like, what are those awful candles and that awful statue? <laughs> Michael's like, the Blessed Mother. <laughs> and when there's a naked heart on it like that, I guess you call it the Immaculate Heart of Mary. I don't know really. I don't remember. And the candles are blessed candles. He says that he saw them flickering up there when he was outside that first night. He never dreamed she was dying, and if he'd known, you know, he didn't even know who lived in the house at that point. She's like, why? Why do they burn blessed candles? He answers with like, oh, it's comforting to the dying, you know, like the priest comes, gives her what they call the last sacraments. She's, like, astonished. She's, like, they did that for her, but they didn't take her to the hospital? <laughs> that is, like, that is astounding. He's, like, do you really think, like, if you had come any sooner, like, do you, would, it, would it have mattered? Rowan says that Ryan says, no, it wouldn't have mattered. But Ryan is covering Ryan, isn't he? But I know, I'll know when I see the records, and then I'll feel better. Or worse, she's looking around this room. They notice all the bed. They talk about, he explains the fucking bed. How it's newer, it's machine made, and it's American. Whatever. Like, I just wish there was something in this house that Rowan knew about and Michael didn't have to explain to her what it was. From fucking architecture to crystal glasses to furniture, he's explained what everything is and how it works. Rowan says, she stopped time, didn't she? Carlotta. She made everything grind to a halt. Think of young girls growing up in a house like this. There isn't a scrap of evidence that they ever had anything beautiful or special or contemporary of their own. Michael's like, teddy bears. Didn't Deirdre say something about teddy bears from the file. I guess she liked them. She had some. Ron doesn't hear him. She's just like, well, her reign is over. She suddenly moves over, picks up this plaster statue of the Virgin Mary, and pitches it across the room. It breaks. She stares at it like she's shocked by what she's done. Michael's astonished. He's superstitious about this shit. He's like, oh, shit, she just broke the fucking Virgin Mary. Then his eyes catch something glittering in the shadows. A heap of tiny glittering things on the table at the far end of the bed. And he's like, look, Rowan. And it's a jewel box. A velvet purse with gold coins heaped everywhere, ropes of pearls, gems, hundreds of small glittering gems. Treasure. 
on the bedside table. Ron's like, good God. After looking at them, she's like, Michael, would you touch them? Like, would you lay your hands on them? He shakes his head like, I don't, I don't want to. She's like, would you touch something of Deirdre's? Her nightgown? Maybe the bed? He's like, I don't want to, Rowan. We said we wouldn't. She looks down in, like, disappointment. He's like, Rowan, I can't interpret it. It will just be confusion. He doesn't know how to use it. Aaron has taught him a little, but he's not very good at it yet. And he says, I'll see something ugly. I'll hate it. And it scares me, Rowan, because she's dead. He says, I mean, when Aaron teaches me, you know, she's like, what if you saw happiness? What if you saw something beautiful like that woman in London saw who touched her robe for Aaron? He's like, do you believe in that? The Talamasca? They're just people. To which she answers, no, they aren't just people. They're people like you and me. They have a preternatural powers like you and I have preternatural powers. He thinks about how Deirdre in the gardens talking to Aaron just was like, I want a normal life. So. He moves over towards the dresser, opens the drawer, full of nightgowns. He picks one of these nightgowns up, lays it out on the dresser, and takes off his gloves. He passes out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, babe, before I tell you what happens, I think this is a good time to take a break. Okay. So, when we come back, we'll find out what happens. We are back. So, before we continue, this, at this point, I feel like this is when this book gets good. For a little while, at least. Are you ready? I'm ready. For this. I am going to do my best to tell you all of the craziness that happens in the rest of this chapter. Are you ready for horror? And scary shit. Sure. Okay, hold on to your butt. <laughs> so, we left off with Rowan asking Michael to touch something of Deirdre's. So maybe he'll see happiness and she needs to know or whatever. And when he says no, she looks disappointed. So, you know, I guess in order to prove something, he pulls out one of her nightgowns and takes his gloves off. He picks it up. With both hands. Closes his eyes. And he says, Deirdre. Only Deirdre. An enormous place gaped before him. Through the lurid flickering glare, he saw hundreds of faces. He heard voices wailing and screaming. An unbearable sound. A man came towards him. Stepping over the bodies of others. No, stop. He drops the nightgown. Stands there, his eyes closed, trying to remember what he just saw. He can't bear to be surrounded by it again. Hundreds of people shifting and turning and someone speaking to him in a rapid, ugly, mocking voice. 
He's like, Christ, what was that? He stares down at his hands. He had heard drums behind all of it. Like marching, cadence, something he knew. He's like, oh yeah, it's like from Mardi Gras years ago. He's like, I don't understand. Ron's like, what are you saying? He's like, I didn't see anything that made any sense. He looks at the nightgown all angry, reaches out for it again. And he's like, Deirdre in the last days. Only Deirdre in the last days. Touches it very gently. He says, I'm seeing the view from the porch, the garden. Talks about the flowers that they saw earlier. And he says, Lasher's there. She's glad he's there. And he's right beside her. And if he turned his head and looked up, he'd see Lasher. He sets the nightgown down and he's like, it was all sunlight and flowers and she was, she was all right. Rowan's like, thank you, Michael. He says, I don't want to do it again. I'm sorry. I can't do it. I don't want to. She's all like, I understand. I'm sorry. And he's like, well, what did I see the first time? <laughs> the other parts of her brain. She's probably wondering, like, what did he see the first time? Yet he's here in the house. He's got the power. It's been given to him by them. And he's being a coward. They wanted him to come here, right? Didn't they want him to touch things? She wants him to touch things. So... He does a crazy fucking thing. He reaches out and he touches Deirdre's bed. He gets a flash of midday nurses cleaning, vacuuming, someone's complaining, there's a whine. It's all fast and blurred. He touches the mattress. He sees her white leg. And he sees Jerry Lonigan there. Lifting her dead body, saying under his breath, to his assistant, like, look at this place. Will you look at it? When he touched the walls, he sees her face. Deirdre, her smile and the drool on her chin. He touches the door to the bathroom. He sees a nurse bullying her, telling her to come now and move her feet. And she knew she could. He feels pain inside Deirdre, pain eating her insides. But there's a man's voice. There's a cleaning woman. The flush of a toilet. The hum of mosquitoes. The sight of a sore on the back of Deirdre. He's like, good God, look at it. It's a lot. <laughs> he pushes past Rowan. He brushes her hand away. He touches the post of the stairs. He gets a flash of a cotton dress passing him. Footsteps. And someone screaming, crying. Meanwhile, Rowan is yelling his name, Michael. He runs up the steps after this person he just saw. There's a baby crying in the cradle. It's echoing all the way up three flights from the parlor. He can smell the chemicals, the stench from those jars. She told the, him about it, but now he had to see it, didn't he? And touch it. 
touch Marguerite's filthy jars. There's a lot going on here. Michael has started touching things. <laughs> now he's running through the house, touching more things. And with everything he touches, he sees something. Well, still a lot of shit rolling through us like he's reliving it. Yes. Has this all been making sense to you so far? Yeah, I get it. I'm trying not to read everything, but like I have to read everything because it's all something. He didn't want to do it, but now he's just going nuts now. Yeah. Touch everything. Touch everything. He's and he's been going in and out of that. It was like out of the fucking head right now, too. Mm-hmm. He's been hearing, like, the visions have been coming back a little bit, like, since he's been in this house, maybe? Or since he's been around Rowan? Or since he's been close to Lasher? Who knows the reason? But he really did not want to fucking do this. But he's doing it. And he's doing it like a madman. So he's running up the steps. He smells the filthy, rotten shit in the jars that used to belong to Marguerite. Realizes he's supposed to touch them. As his hand is on the railing, he catches a flash of Rowan with the lamp in her hand. And the old woman, obviously the previous night. Then he sees the black woman with the dust mop. This is Eugenia. He sees a carpenter. Makes his way to Deirdre's bedroom. Here's other voices rising to a peak, then vanishing away, and another wave coming. And there's a, the door straight ahead, someone laughing at him, a man speaking French. What's he saying? Let me hear one distinct word. There's still the, the smell. He's like, but no, first, Julian's room, Julian's bed. The laughter is getting louder. The baby is crying. It's all mixed up. Someone's rushing up the stairs behind him. He touches the door. He gets Eugenia again. Sees that awful stain where Townsend died, where he drew his last breath through the hole in the carpet. More Julian, the same man. Yes, the same man he'd seen when he'd held Deirdre's nightgown. Yes, you, Julian. Staring at him. I see you. Then he grabs a window seal. The blind goes up. Dirty windows. Then he sees Antha fly past him. Through the glass. Scuttling out onto the roof. Terrified. Tangle of hair over her wet face. Her eye. Look at her eye. It's on her cheek. Dear God. Sobbing, don't hurt me, don't hurt me, Lasher, help me. So he sees Antha go through the window and out onto the porch roof. Carlotta, right? Carlotta did that. Yeah, well, Carlotta says she did it. Yeah, she did it. He, at this point, when he sees this, yells out for Rowan. And he's like, and Julian, why didn't he do something? Why did he just stand there crying silently, doing nothing? Julian is there. Well, didn't he wait dead? Yeah. He's there now or so, there yeah, he's his... both. Yeah. It's a little confusing. Yeah. So he's been hearing Julian. That's the French man. That's the laughing. Um 
Julian is there watching when this all happens to Antha doing nothing. You can call on the devil in hell and the saints in the heaven. They won't help you, said Carlotta, her voice a snarl as she climbed through the window. So he's seeing that happen. And Julian, helpless. Kill you, bitch. Kill you. You will not. And then Anthony's gone. She's fallen. Julian's there with his face in his hands, helpless, shimmering, gone. A ghost witness. Then it's chaos again. Carlotta's fading away. He puts his hands on the iron bed and he sees Julian sitting there. Wavering yet distinct for an instant. Michael's like, I know you. The dark eyes, the smiling mouth, the white hair. Yes, you. Don't touch me. To which Julian says, Ah, bien. Michael at last. Huh. His hands hit some packing crates that are on the bed. He sees nothing but the light wavering and forming the image of the man sitting there under the covers. And then it's gone. And then it was there. Julian was trying to get out of the bed. He's like, no, get away from me. Rowan again yells for Michael. He shoves the boxes off the bed. He's stumbling all over the place. And he's like, the dolls. Where are the dolls? They're in the trunk. Julian said that, didn't he? He said it in French. There's more laughter, like a chorus of laughter. He hears the rustle of skirts around him. Something breaks. There's like a wavering and vanishing as Julian stood there, nodding, pointing down at the trunk. <laughs> he breaks the hinges as he throws the lid open. He hears like the rustling again. It's all around him. There's feet scraping the floor. Figures looming over him like flashes of light through shutters here and then gone. Skirts. He can hear it reminds him of like nuns. But there are the dolls. Look, the dolls. He's like, don't hurt them. Be fragile, you know. He's like, that one, the one with the button eyes and the braids of gray. And a tiny little perfect man clothes of tweed to the very trousers. God, bones inside. He holds it. Mary Beth. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, like, ah. Uh, the flapping gores of her skirts came against him. If he looked up, he'd see her looking down. He did see her. There was no limit to what he could see. He could see the backs of their heads as they were close, closed in on him. Nothing can hold steady, though. And it's like solid for a second, and then it's nothing. Then the room is full of dusty nothing. Then it's crowded and overflowing with fucking people. And then Rowan comes through like a tear in a fabric, grabbing him by the arm. And then he sees a flash of Charlotte. 
He knows it's Charlotte. Had he touched the doll? He looks down and they were all higgledy-piggledy. They use that word again. It's the second time it's been in this novel. It's my new favorite word. <laughs> words. It's two words. Sorry. My new favorite <coughs> phrase. Higgledy-piggledy. He's like, but where's Deborah? He starts tumbling through the dolls, going down through the layers. Somebody's crying. Nope, it's a baby screaming in the cradle. Or is it Anthony on the roof? Or is it both of them? He just gets a flash of Julian again, talking rapidly in French. Julian is down on one knee right beside him. And he's like, I can't understand you. <laughs> like you're driving me crazy what good am I to you or anyone if I'm crazy he thinks get these skirts away from me it's so much like the nun Rowan still Michael <laughs> he's still looking he's like where is it easy should be easy it should be the oldest one a mere stick thing of bones and one over from it the blonde hair of Charlotte and that meant that the frail little thing between them was his Deborah. Tiny beetles raced from beneath it as he touched it. Gross. So gross. It falls apart. He leaves a fingerprint in its bone face. Ugh. The blast of the fire catches him and he can smell it. And then he sees her body all crumpled up on top of the pyre. In, in a voice in French, ordering him to do something. But what? He says, Deborah. Touching it again. Deborah. But it's like super old. Then Stella's there. Stella laughed. He sees Stella holding it and saying, Talk to me. <laughs> With her eyes squeezed shut. And the young man beside her laughing, saying, you don't really think that this is going to work. Michael's like, what do you want of me? <laughs> he hears the skirts again all around him and like mingling voices in French and English. Um, he tries to catch like Julian this time, but hmm, he lays his hands on the little Deborah doll, crushing it. And he's like, I'm destroying them. Deborah, and nothing, nothing. And he's like, what have I done that you won't tell me? Rowan is calling him, shaking him. He almost hits her. He's like yelling, stop it. They're all here in this house. Don't you see? They're waiting. There's a name for it. They're hovering, earthbound. It's crazy, though. She's like, Michael, stop. That's enough. He thinks, yeah, I have to get out of here. He's sweating. He realizes, like, he's sweating, and he runs his hands over his shirt. And when he touches his shirt with his bare hands, he gets a flash of Rowan. And then a shimmer of them all around him again. Only he can't see their faces. 
He shouts that he can't do this, goddammit. He's hearing their voices again. He puts his hands over his ears. And he smells the jars. The stench from the jars that were waiting. The jars. Is that what you want of me? To come back here and touch things and to know and find out? Deborah, where are you? They're laughing at him. It's Julian's laughter, wasn't it? Someone's definitely crying. There's a baby in a cradle, a dull voice cursing in English. Kill you, kill you, kill you. <laughs> Brown's like, it's enough. Stop, don't. And he says, no, it isn't. The jars are there. It's not enough. Let me do it once and for all. With all of it. He pushes her aside. She tries to stop him. He makes his way in to the room of jars. They really call it the room of jars. <laughs> He's like, if only that baby would stop crying and that old woman cursing and that voice in French. I can't. The jars. And babe, before we talk about the jars, are you following what's happening here? Yeah. So, so far he has seen the ghost of Julian and Stella and every other one. And Mary died. Beth and maybe somebody else. And the room is filled with dead people. Filled. The room is filled with people. Yeah. Seven sensory overload. Yep. But he's still fucking running around touching things. And I would say this is probably a good time to take another break too, huh? Oh yeah, because the I the yeah, the jars deserve its own section. So we're gonna go away. And when we come back Death jars. The jars. The room of jars. Okay, babe. Michael's touched some furniture, some walls, some door frames. Yeah, yeah. Going for death jars. Yeah, yeah. We touched some dolls. Now we're going for jars. What do you remember about jars? Dead babies. Oh. Well. Parts of bodies and sludge. And... Parts of bodies and sludge. That was Marguerite's, apparently, we've heard. Marguerite is also the one that was stealing babies. Yeah. Yeah. Killing slaves? Yeah. Okay, so before I asked you to hold on to your butt, this time I'm going to need you to hold on to your lunch because this shit is gross. Listeners, this shit is, is gross. So, um, yeah, forewarned. The jars. So he's in this room now. The jar room. The room of jars. <laughs> Get off of I love the phrase. I can still see it's still on the page. And I keep going back to that uh, on the page. The room of jars. He's standing there with his hands over his ears. Looking at the jars. Rowan's there watching him. He's like, is this what you want me to touch? Sharpens his focus. And he's like, 
jars only, you know. He puts his hands on this jar and through his fingers, he saw an eye looking at him. And he's like, Christ, it's a human head. But what is he getting from the jar itself? Nothing. Nothing but images so faint they were like the inside, a cloud surrounding him. It don't mean anything. So what does this fucking man do? What does he do? Opens the jar. He opens the fucking jar. <laughs> uh, what does he do next? Puts his hand in the he jar. He puts his fucking hand in the jar. Oh. Okay. Yummy. Yeah, you would think. Okay, but not enough. No, it's so fucking descriptive. There's fumes. He gags. <laughs> right? This is he gagged. That's what he gets. But that didn't stop him. What does he do? He grabs the head inside by the hair. It falls away and his fingers slip like seaweed. Ugh. This is not my fr Okay, I... I've read, uh, read this so many times, I don't, it's still gross, every time. It's so descriptive, it's like, it's like worse than like seeing it, I feel like. You know what I mean? Like, mm, the head was slimy and falling into pieces. Chunks of it rose against the glass, pushing against his wrists. But he had a hold of it, his thumb sinking into the putrid cheek. He drew it up out of the jar, knocking the jar onto the floor. Mm. <laughs> he's got the head. And he's got dim flashes of the head speaking. The head laughing. The features mobile, though the head was dead. And the hair was brown, the eyes bloodshot, but brown, and blood seeping from the dead mouth that talked. Okay. So that's the vision he gets of the head. He sees the head talking and moving. This is when he hears, I, Michael, and blood when you are nothing but bones. Does this ring a bell to you? No. This is from back Peter Van Abel. This is what Lasher said to Peter Van Abel. No. His prediction, or so they called it. <laughs> then he sees the whole man on the bed, naked and dead, but alive, with Lasher in him. <laughs> okay? Arms thrashing and mouth opening. And beside him is Marguerite, with her hands on his shoulders, holding this dead thing. Just like Rowan is trying to hold Michael right now. Weird. Parallel. He drops the head, he falls down to his knees, and of course, he fucking vomits. It pours out of him. <laughs> 
Rowan's like holding him by his shoulders, like, <laughs> ew. So now there's a broken jar, a head, and vomit on the floor. And again, he sees the dead thing on the bed. He tries to tell her, but he can't. He gets up to his feet. And he pushes Julian out of the way. And then Mary Beth. And then Rowan. And he's groping around for the head. It's squashed fruit on the floor, breaking it apart like a melon. He's like, Lasher. Lasher in that head, in the body of that head. <laughs> and there's others. All the jars. Look, they're all filled with heads. All, all of them. He snatches another one. He smashes it against the wood shelf. There's some more gross descriptions. He grabs the fucking skull out of this one. Face just dripping away. He hears, I, Michael, when you are nothing but bones. Like the bones you hold in your hands. Michael's like crying out like, is this flesh? He kicks the head onto the floor. He kicks the head on, that's on the floor, throws down the skull, kicks the skull. It's like rubber, you know, because it's been in alcohol for like four centuries. Oh, that's grosser than just a, like a 400 year old skull in the ground. Fine. It's like fossilized. It's just like, but a fucking skull that's been in a jar, that is so much grosser <laughs> for some reason. I don't know why. Texture. <laughs> oh, yeah, the text, that's what I mean. Like, she adds that in there. Like, it's two fucking words, but it makes the whole thing so much grosser. Like rubber. He's like, you aren't going to get her. Not for this. Not for anything. She's again yelling his name. He hits the shelf, gets a flash of Eugenia, saying that she hates the smell of this attic, and Miss Carl telling her to, you leave it, Eugenia. So, yeah, Carl would not let Eugenia clean up. I just, mean old bitch. At least she gave her a job. Yeah. But why, though? Why keep that lady in that house, though? She probably could have had a much happier life. Yeah. Working somewhere else. Mm -hmm. Anywhere else. She could have done anything. She could have cleaned some other house that was happy, didn't have old mean ladies in it, and, like, her ass could have quit too, right? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I guess she could have. She's probably afraid of Carlotta, though, because yeah. everybody is afraid of Carlotta. True. <coughs> you know, like everybody does what Carlotta says because she had all the power and all the money. Maybe she felt like if she quit, Carlotta would ruin her fucking life. I want this story from her point of view. You know, like, as just a person, like, I want her story in the file. She should be interviewed. So, yeah, he has the flash of them. Then he says to Rowan, he came into the dead bodies. He possessed them. He looked through their eyes and he spoke through their vocal cords and he used them. But he couldn't make them come alive again. He couldn't make the cells begin to multiply again. He came into the heads. 
long after the bodies were gone, and he looked through the eyes. Getting that? Yeah, Lasher's trying to get into the... He's possessing dead bodies. Michael snatches up another jar. It's a head with brown hair. And look, there's the one, a blonde head with streaks of brown in it. And look, the face of a black man with blotches of white skin on it. And streaks of lighter hair. And here, another with white hair and streaks with brown. Just heads on heads on heads. Just heads and jars. Jeez. He's like, dear God, don't you see? He not only went into them, he changed the tissues. He caused the cells to react. He changed them, but he couldn't keep them alive. Heads, heads, heads. He wanted to smash all the jars. He goes on about, like, he caused a mutation, and it nothing compared to be alive. They rotted. He couldn't stop that, but, like, and they won't tell me what they want me to do. He starts smashing jars. Rowan doesn't try to stop him, but she's got her arms around him. She's trying to pull him out of the room, and he's like, but don't you see... He motions to far back on the shelf, behind the jar that he's just broken, the finest of the jars. <laughs> the liquid is clear. The seal is still thick and intact. Through the flicker of meaningless, indistinguishable images and sounds, he heard her. Open it. Break it. The Rowan. <laughs> so he does. And he holds the head, no longer even caring about the stench or the spongy, moldering texture of the thing he held. He gets a Marguerite in the bedroom again, turning to smile at him, toothless. And Julian, who is reed-thin, white-haired, but young. With his arms folded, he's like, you devil, let me see you, Lasher. And then there's the body on the bed. The body's beckoning for her to come, lay down, being um, Marguerite. She does. It's dead, rotting fingers are touching her. It tells her, look at me. Change me. Look at me change me and there's julian stood at the foot of the bed fascinated and fearless just like watching it yuck <laughs> and he's like yeah that's him that's lasher that's the face you saw in the garden in the church in the auditorium so many times he lets the head slide to the floor he backs away but the eye pits were staring up at him, and the lips were moving. He's like, "Did Ro does Rowan see it? And he asks her out loud, do you hear it talking? And there's voices all around him. But only one voice is like clear, it's a soundless voice. It says to him, you cannot stop me. You cannot stop her. You do my bidding. 
My patience is like the patience of the Almighty. I see to the finish. I see the thirteen. I shall be flesh when you are dead. Michael says again out loud, he's speaking to me. The devil's speaking to me. Do you hear it? He goes out the door and down the hall, down the stairs before he realizes what he's even doing. He can't take any more of it. They end up in Bell's room. Nice clean bed. He's touching it and Bell. Bell is what he's touching now. It's the soft, sweet spirit of Bell. Rowan's there. She's got gloves for him. She's wiping all that nasty shit off of his hands with a warm washcloth. She's telling him to just, like, lie quiet, put on the gloves. He finds Belle's rosary on the bed, and he, like, wants to hold it. And he's like, oh, there, the Belle. Oh, how lovely. He tries to tell Rowan how Belle is standing there. Rowan's listening to his pulse. She's, like, holding his wrist, checking Mm -hmm. his pulse. Then Belle is gone. But she had been right there talking to him. And then there she was. Belle says, rest, Michael, in a sweet, tremulous voice like Aunt Viv. She was fading, but he could still see her. Don't be afraid of me, Michael. I'm not one of them. That's not why I'm here. Mm -hmm. He's like, make them talk to me. Make them tell me what they want. Not them, but the ones who came to me. Was it Deborah? And she's like just lie quiet Michael please he's like what did Rowan say we aren't meant to have these powers they destroy the human in us you're human when you're at the hospital I was human when I had the hammer and nails in my hands everything's like fading away he's trying to explain it all to her then he realizes that Rowan's not there because he is asleep then Belle's sitting there by the dresser. It's such a lovely picture. Sleep, Michael, sleep. And he's like, are, are you going to be here when I wake up? <laughs> she says, no, darling. I'm not really here now. It's their house, Michael. I'm not one of them. So he sleeps, holding the rosary. He sees Millie Deer saying it's time to go to church. He knows that they loved each other. This house has become our house, he thinks. And that's why I loved it so when I was small. And I'd walk here. Loved it. Our house. Never any quarrel between Belle and Millie, dear. So nice. Deborah said to him, incalculable power. Power to transmute. He shuddered. Not easy. So difficult you can scarce imagine it. The hardest thing, perhaps, that you... Michael's like, I can't do this. He sleeps, and through his sleep, he heard the comforting sound of breaking glass. And that is where this part of this chapter ends. And I think that's where we should stop for today. Gersomeness to sweetness. Yeah, so there's a few more little parts 
to this chapter, it's broken down like there's a double space. And then that part ends with like a little dot, dot, dot. And there's another part. So that's two. Then there's another double space and a short little third part that ends the chapter. So we're not going to get to that today. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to cover that in the next episode along with chapter 32. Wow, babe, any questions about what happened? No. Michael saw some shit. No. What do you think about that? He's like a fucking medium. He's like talking to him. Oh, yeah. It's crazy. Delane talked to him. He saw visions of things that happened, like no. Antha going off the roof. He saw Stella trying to hold the doll and wish to see her pure signs of being a medium right yeah he just starts grabbing shit I'm wild because like the first part of this chapter is all like how much he doesn't want to fucking do it and then rowan looks disappointed for all of 0.5 seconds and he's like i'll touch everything <laughs> addiction mm -hmm. he ended up asleep in bed in bell's room Dreaming about Belle and Millie, they probably the only two happy people to live there in a long time. If they were even that happy. But he knows that they loved each other, so that's nice. Visions have been coming back. Maybe? He hears Lasher say, You cannot stop me. You cannot stop her. You do my bidding. My patience is like the patience of the Almighty. I see to the finish. I see the 13. I shall be flesh when you are dead. What do you make of that? I don't know. Was he talking to Michael? Yes. That is my interpretation of it. That a lot, This is Lasher talking directly to Michael. Yes. Pretty bold statement. She's, no, she's the 13th. Rowan. I see the 13th. She's the 13th, or like, they made that a point to say at the funeral plots. Well, the plot, there was, there is 12 open, there oh. was 12 grave plates, but more, more bones are in the... Yeah, that's right. I don't know, that's where 13 came up again, previous chapter, but anyway. She might be the 13th actual witch. It is unclear who, so far, you know. Yeah. But, yeah, so, like, the whole point is he's trying to become flesh by taking over bodies. See where it goes from there. Yeah. So, next week, we will finish up Chapter 31, and we will start maybe, no, Chapter 32 is long. We will finish up Chapter 31, start Chapter 32, and we've only got... A few more episodes, maybe, until we finish up this part. Part two, The File of the Mayfair Witches. Before we get to part three, Come Into My Parlor. Creepy. Very. <laughs> so, listeners, if you have anything... You want to add to this episode, to any previous episode, if you want to just tell me how you feel about this book. Tell me your theories. 
When did you first read this book? Are you rereading it again? I want to know all the things. You can email us at themayfairwitchcast at gmail.com or you can find us on Twitter at Mayfaircast. We're also on Instagram. You can listen to us on all the places. We'd love to hear from you. I'd love to include your emails in an episode in the future. As always, thank you very much for listening. And we'll see you guys later. Bye. Bye.